0: I'm Jason Klom, and this is Comedy on Vinyl. The year is 1959. The album, "An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer." The artist, of course, Tom Lehrer. And my guest this week is Paul Sabor. And thank you so much for doing the show.
1: Hello, pleasure to be here.
0: So, uh, in case those who don't uh, those who don't know, words no work today, Paul. I'm so <laughs> sorry. Tell <laughs> people who okay. you are, You'll Paul, in case they're not familiar with your work.
1: I'm Paul Saboran. I am, among many other things, one half of Paul and Storm, comedy music duo. Uh, I also, let's see, the resume is so weird and varied. Uh, (laughs) I'm one of the founders of Joko Cruise, an annual comedy music cruise event. Mm -hmm. Uh, I am, along with Storm, we have written uh, both words, and music for uh, the last couple seasons of Mystery Science Theater 3000. Oh, yeah. Uh, and uh, general raconteurs and men about town, I guess.
0: Perfect. Perfect. Uh, the is, is it weird that I, I want to, before we even get started into this, just ask you a little bit about um, if they might be giants were uh, an ice cream salesman?
1: <laughs> oh. Uh, I,
0: I'm getting the title <laughs> slightly wrong, but it sticks in my head yeah. an awful lot.
1: It's uh it, that well, <laughs> I mean, what is there to say beyond the title? Mm-hmm. Um, that both of us, uh, both Storm and I, are are big. They might be Giants fans, Storm sure. especially. And we had this. This is a song off of God. Which album is it? Uh, I can't remember if it's off of uh, our album. Do you like Star Wars or? Uh, gumbo pants but either way around the time we were working on whatever album it was Mm -hmm. we had gotten on a kick of because like everyone you know the 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 stereotype is is imitations are you know a lame Mm -hmm. thing to do as professional humorists sure uh it's sort of the cheapest one of the cheaper routes you can go as Mm -hmm. the stereotype goes that i don't necessarily buy into anyway but that's the uh, that's the rap it has. So we we were riffing on that and trying to think, what is sort of the weirdest <laughs> angle you can take on an impression mm-hmm. uh, to make it remotely interesting? Uh, mm-hmm. And the first one of those we came up with, I believe, was what if, or is it was uh, if Bob Dylan were stuck at the bottom, trapped at the bottom of a well, I believe mm-hmm. is the title of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and it just sort of blossomed from there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use any excuse we can to to pull out our they might be giants imitations, of course. Uh, and so that that came organically. I'm pretty sure the whole song grew around the phrase "Would you like a bomb pop?" Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sung as John Linnell, of course. Um, yeah, it, it's always it's always fun origin stories like that. <laughs> it just it just. It amused the hell out of us. We're yeah. dumb, dumb, silly men.
0: It's all right. Uh, you know, Liam Lynch did a whole album of songs in somebody else's style. Weird Al. Don't know if anybody's ever heard of him. Has uh, done a lot of uh, style he, parodies. He so, has. You know as as if we, we
1: actually, we did a whole series of Christmas songs oh, in, yeah. the style, yeah, in the style of uh, They Might Be Giants as well. So it was not, I honestly can't remember which came first, mm-hmm. uh, but either way, we had already done it or we were going to do many more either way. so Have they heard these? They have, uh-huh. they were, uh, uh, the, 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 uh, diplomatic way that Flansburg described it was they were, they were warily flattered. <laughs> I think they weren't exactly sure why it existed. Yeah. But once they got that, we weren't completely making fun of them or being sure a-holes can we swear on this podcast oh yeah please yeah okay so we're bringing assholes about Mm -hmm. it Mm -hmm. uh they still were a little uh little cautious as to (laughs) the reason for its existence but we're not we're not upset that it existed
0: that's good yeah i mean it would be a weird thing to find out somebody's tried to do this entire thing based on their rough idea of what you sound like but then you have to remember the own they only know this because they've heard you a gazillion times and listened to you all the time on repeat you know my wife is a bigger... I love They Might Be Giants, but my wife is the biggest fan that I know, and it's only because I've heard her play them a million times that I have something of an impression of them, because right. it's just always there. Yeah. Um, so, Tom Lehrer. When Tom did you Lehrer. first hear Tom Lehrer? You're a younger gentleman, Paul, so w- w- how, how did this enter <laughs> your
1: life? I uh, So, my parents were always supportive of uh, my both my brother and I, my older brother and I, uh, played music, you know. We're in band. I was in choir and musicals and such during school. I was your your sort of typical band geek, band nerd, whatever your school's term was for it. Sure. Uh, they always encouraged music. There wasn't a lot of music played in our house. My, my parents. Uh, I grew up now. Back in the seventies, there was this thing called vinyl, mm-hmm. uh, which uh, you may know something about given the title of your podcast. A bit. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents probably had about a. Roughly a milk crate's worth of, of albums, you know, somewhere mm-hmm. just a lot of sort of easy listening type stuff. Sure. Some Broadway uh, cast albums. But uh, one, a uh, couple of the albums that were in there was Tom Lehrer's That Was the Year That Was and An Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer. Uh, the interesting, not really connection per se, that my family has is my mom at one point uh, in college. Uh, lived in Cambridge in, as it turns out, a house that Tom Lehrer used to at least live in, if not own. We're, we're not it. exactly sure. It was, mm-hmm. it was at that point. It was you know, like a six bedroom house that was used for student housing apartments kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, and they would still occasionally get postcards from people to address to Tom Lair saying, oh, this okay. is the last address I have for you. Wanted to get in touch uh, <laughs> because he, you know, he taught it harvard and mit and such yeah in the 60s uh uh and so there there was a piano in the house that she liked to think was his or at least he used to play on of course um (laughs) and so never you know she never met him or anything like that but Mm -hmm. you know she was a smart and funny person and he was very popular uh especially in the area around that time he had sort of a mid-60s uh, or slightly later sixties resurgence. Mm-hmm. Um, so she was very familiar with this work, and we had those albums in our house. Mm-hmm. I was a precocious young child, which means sure. I was a talkative little pain in the ass. <laughs> um, and I, you know, I enjoyed comedy, funny things, and these albums were some of the first comedy that I was exposed to with any regularity. And I yeah. played them. I played both those albums. You know, metaphorically, until the grooves ran out. Sure. Uh, I played them a lot. And they just, they really were genuinely formative. or uh, Helped form my eventual sense of humor and, and what I found funny and why I found things funny. Because they were smart. Sure. They, they, they didn't, they weren't lowest common denominator. Mm-hmm. They made you feel smart oh, yeah. uh, when you listened to them. Uh, all of which appealed to me as a a little overeducated asshole. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I really enjoyed everything about these albums, um, and played them a whole lot from, I mean, I must've been, you know, as long as I have memories really five or six years old, I think we were, you know, playing these albums, you know, not every day, obviously I wasn't a weird obsessive, (laughs) but you know, enough that at the time I knew all the words to all the songs.
0: Yeah, did albums. you, uh, so uh, ar- around what time would this have been? This um, would have
1: been mid-late 70s. I, okay. was, I was born in 1970, so we're talking like 76 through 80,
0: okay. 82, 83. Okay, so you didn't have a Weird Al yet. So there's no Weird Al to be, so this is uh, I think only Proto, gentleman?
1: I didn't, I didn't Proto Weird Al start like... When, when mean, was Another true. One Rides the Bus? That's a
0: very good question. I should know this. I, and now Yeah, but certainly,
1: like, I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed Weird Al, but mm-hmm. I didn't, at the time, I wasn't, like, going out and buying every album he put out. You know, I was familiar mm-hmm. with the hits, and I was happy when I heard, um, you know, him come up on the radio. But, for example, Where I Lived, we didn't have, the, the Dr. Domeno show wasn't yeah, syndicated there. Right. So it's not like I had a weekly fix on this sort of music i mean that said i enjoyed it but sure. uh it wasn't to the same level of like owning owning the albums and obsessively learning all the lyrics
0: so you are getting this kind of uh, out of time exposure to comedy that is not of your generation decidedly yes. of your parents uh later on does that seem weird to you or is it just i mean i, f- I feel like that's typical of comedy people yeah
1: though. i think yeah i think you're, you know you're certainly at least initially drawn to you know the things that you're exposed immediately to, especially back in those days. You had, you know, three main channels, a couple of UHF channels, uh, you and whatever you know your parents bought because you didn't have money mm-hmm. to buy your own albums or 45s or anything. Um So yeah, I think that makes complete sense. That you know, and I I don't feel it's weird at all. I tried to sort of do the same thing with my kids, and you as as any parent learns, you only can be so successful at that. And I think that's the way it should be. Like part of the point of humor there can, you know, there's can be a timeless uh, factor to most really good humor. But that said, part of, I think the inherent value of humor is that it changes over time. The styles change, the content changes, uh, the, the lines, the various lines that you can and can't cross uh, and, and are crossed with increasing or decreasing regularity among the its practitioners. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, it's healthy and it's good as far as I'm concerned for, for kids to not just love everything that their parents did and to, in fact, enjoy things that their parents don't like or can't understand. You know, yeah. just look at TikTok. Mm-hmm. Most people of my generation just can't. Mm-mm. Like, don't, even I struggle with the concept. It's not like I'm trying to be the hip dad who knows everything about TikTok. Sure, I try to at least understand what's happening there. Mm-hmm. You know, there, or, like, to YouTubers, like, parents not understanding, why would a kid sit and watch a Let's Play video for nine hours to watch somebody else play Minecraft?
0: Yeah. Yep.
1: um. But, you know, that's, they, the parent says, why would somebody want to do that? And then goes and sits down for three hours straight of this old house on Sunday. <laughs> you know, it's just a different kind of let's play. It's just Very you're watching somebody so. else build a thing. <laughs> um, so uh, I don't remember exactly what my final point was to all that <laughs> other other than, yeah, no, I think it's entirely normal uh, that my, my sense of humor grew out of my parents and what they exposed me to.
0: Do you, can you think back to what your first comedic piece of music ever would have been?
1: it was probably one of I mean, there was probably if you're not counting like, you know, nursery rhymes or some song you heard. You mean the first mm, one I wrote. first one the first you one? wrote, sorry, that should have oh, that first was one I realized wrote. in sorry. the middle
0: that was an unclear question.
1: Oh gotcha. Yeah. Uh no the first song I wrote actually was um in the mid nineties, I joined an a cappella group called Da Vinci's Notebook. Mm-hmm. uh which storm my music partner was also a member of we were you know that group was together 10 12 years mm-hmm. from the mid 90s through the through the early mid-2000s and we started off just as like a you know all of us came from different acapella groups from our respective colleges and backgrounds and it started out as most college acapella groups is just like a cover group for a hobby group doing doo-wop songs and other other groups arrangements of pop songs and whatnot Mm-hmm. One of the one of the groups that we covered numerous songs of was a, a cappella group called the Bobs, who were a very popular group out of San Francisco at the time who did original comedy and uh, sort of avant combination of comedy and avant garde songs. Um, and those songs were really popular mm-hmm. in, as we performed them. And we started to semi consciously lean towards, you know, this comedy thing seems to be what we're good at. Uh, and I just took a shot, I had an idea for a song that was kind of inspired by a couple of different country and Western comedy songs. I wrote a song called Liposuction, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, tempo comedy country and Western themed, uh, song. And that was, that was really honestly the first song I ever wrote. Uh, I was, that must've been like 90. 596 ish Mm -hmm. something like that so yeah it's not like i grew up you know trying to write a whole bunch of funny songs sure sure i may have there there may have been a time in like junior high or high school we'd like re-lyric a thing or something like that sure sure not not in any sort of like let's go perform this capacity See, that
0: start date for the band makes sense as to why I'm sure back when I was stealing uh, MP3s as a youngster um, that I, I know that I ran across Da Vinci's Notebook about it. Or
1: people claiming to be, you know, I'm sure
0: it was another yeah. one of those. Um,
1: yeah, we had, we had a couple of, of Napster and Kazaa uh, viral hits mm-hmm. back in those days. Our, our most famous song was a little sort of a novelty single called Enormous Penis uh-huh. that will probably go on my gravestone. Yeah. <laughs> um, Another song called uh, Title of the Song, which was sort of made fun of boy bands that mm-hmm. to this day, uh, college acapella groups will cover. Um, and that's, you know, it's it's flattering and nice yeah. to see that. those. It's like a that weird still.
0: specific honor, but I mean, I wouldn't turn it down and I don't even write yeah. music. I yeah. mean, I love the um, idea, though, that Sans Context, Enormous Penis will go on your
1: gravestone. Do you think? Yeah. Just, OK. Yeah. And, but but for example, like that's one uh, Enormous Penis is a song that would show up. Sometimes attributed to Weird Al. Of course. Of course. (laughs) And, you know, that's just sort of the danger you run back in those wild, wild west days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But what are you going to do? Again, you know, there are far less flattering comparisons on our part. Certainly not for Al's (laughs) part. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. Yeah, that's
0: why uh, I wrote this uh, fake internet history book a few years ago, and in it there's an entire chapter that claims that he actually did write all those uh, songs with filthy (laughs) titles. Yeah. And uh, yeah, uh, just because it was just unavoidable. And also, the million different ways they misspelled Yankovic uh, or Yankovic, it was uh, just one of these uh, peculiarities of of Napster times. It's true. so okay, so your exposure to Tom Tom Lehrer starts as a, a very young man, which I think mm-hmm. is it, that's that's good timing. Uh, you sort of have to did you uh, did you have knowledge of the musical
1: references? Did you roughly know what he was? some okay um, and that's actually when I talk about this sort of thing, that's one of the joys to me of that kind of humor is where you may not really know the exact reference or you may not get a specific reference, but it makes you feel smart to understand that it is funny. Yeah. Uh, I, like I, my usual comparison is like when you're watching Monty Python, when you're yeah, in yeah. junior high and they're making various references to early seventies, British parliament members uh-huh. and, and MPs and such. And you have no idea what they're talking about. Mm-mm. You just trust that it's funny because so much of the context around it makes you think so. And you mm-hmm. know that this person is funny. So you just sort of, roll with it and figure eventually you might learn. Uh, So I, yeah, it was a a lot of that for me, especially with um, that was the year that was the -hmm. uh, the album I didn't choose for this, but which I, I, you might as well have called, have listed them as a double album for me because I would just play them back and forth. And I had a hard time deciding which one I would choose, Uh, but that was the week that was as, or excuse me, that was the year that was as, some of, some of your people may know, especially if you've covered this album before, and I have to believe somebody has. Yeah. Uh, in the mid-60s, Tom Lehrer was uh, asked to do a number of songs for uh, a show called That Was the Week That Was, and mm-hmm. he would contribute these musical songs inspired by news items of the day. And so a lot of the songs on That Was the Week That Was are very specific to... Uh, Things happening that year uh, or things on people's mind, whether it was, you know, the Cold War or, mm-hmm. you know, National Brotherhood Week is based on an actual oh, yeah. right. week uh, in the mid 60s. Or uh, Alma, which is a song about Alma Mahler Verfall, this, you know, woman who had a whole series of uh, marriages to various arts luminaries. And, mm-hmm. and he sort of takes a great pleasure in going over just this incredibly racy story of this woman who just went from husband to husband and in, in retrospect it's a rather problematic painting of this woman uh, uh, and her loyalties or lack thereof to various husbands mm-hmm. but again it's just it's making these these references to you know Gustav Mahler and the Bauhaus and all these things mm-hmm. that I had no clue as a 10 year old in suburban Philadelphia what they were, but it's sort of, you hear these references and then eventually you come around to, to learning about them and you broaden your horizon. Oh yeah, okay, I, this reference makes sense and now I see why that's funny and oh, isn't that interesting and now I'll read about this guy and uh, I just sort of love that very slow process of discovery that happens over your life.
0: Do you think... Is there uh, any possibility that that is probably why and where we learn rhythms from? Because if you don't know what's actually being said, essentially, you mm-hmm. still are hearing rhythm. You're still hearing where the, the laughs yeah. are coming. You're still hearing pauses. Yeah. And eventually it just sort of just like stabs these holes in your brain. And you're
1: like, oh, no, this yeah. is how it works. I, uh, I always refer to that. Well, not always, but one of the ways I refer to that is a uh, thing has the shape of joke. Mm hmm. Like even if you don't know the punchline, absolutely. you hear it's got you hear it's got the rhythms. You hear, oh well, this is a punchline, and given all my context, context, this is a person that apparently the audience thinks is an idiot, or mm-hmm. certainly doesn't fit in this uh, in this particular situation, or whatever. Yeah, uh, and you know you you, you learn about structure uh, that way by abstracting it uh, for sure. I, it's I like a Mike Huckabee agree. tweet. He does seem to <laughs> yeah. think, like that's like it's they absolutely seem, right. They
0: should be jokes. But mm-hmm. they rarely actually function that way. Andy
1: Daly, uh-huh. uh, the, the wonderful actor and comedian, uh, mm-hmm. did a routine once. Uh, I'm sure he's done it oh. in multiple places. I've, the, I've seen it, uh, recording of it from when he did uh, a Max Fun Con, mm-hmm. uh, which is an annual event they do from the Maximum Fun Radio Network, where he did. Uh, I can't remember the name of uh the the com- comedian he's calling himself yeah but he essentially does like eight to ten minutes of absolute meta shape of joke comedy there's no actual content to it but it's all just setups so and like yes yeah, so i was looking in the paper and i looked down and suddenly i'm like whoa what's going on with this guy i mean get out of here what are you doing I turn to my wife. I'm like, what is this guy doing? She says, I don't know what he's doing. You know, it's just that for eight minutes. And it is the most beautiful, brilliant breakdown of like comedy itself. Mm -hmm. I I like still to this day, I marvel at the whole thing, especially where about five, six minutes in, he sort of pulls a piece of paper out of his jacket and says, "Okay, what else have I got here? (laughs) I mean that's just, just so delivering great. And I, on
0: the idea that that was all somehow written down. That is just yeah. that's too good. And it's
1: it's so good. Please, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, yeah. go search Andy Daly uh Max Funcon. Mm-hmm. You'll find it and it is so worth your while. It's uh, just
0: brilliant. I'm so glad you reminded me of that because <laughs> uh because I uh, it's been a while since I've heard that. That is I'm listening to that as soon as this is over. Mm-hmm. He he's a man who I feel like is wasted on the comedy world at large. He's too good for most of the things he's in. Yeah, and he's great yeah. in all of them. But there's a, oh. uh,
1: you know, the, like the whole sort of comedian's comedian term is overused mm-hmm. and kind of a sawhorse, but, but he absolutely like, he's just, he's on such another level. Like the entire series of mm-hmm. uh, review is just such beyond just being flat out funny is mm-hmm. such an interesting analysis of that type of show and the editing tricks and manipulations that they do and just it's so good and it was it was too beautiful for this world Mm
0: -hmm. uh jerry o'hearn by the way there we go that's the character there jerry o'hearn thank you in case it doesn't come up some other way uh holy cow uh do you, is there, uh, I always ask this question I've learned to slowly adapt this question over the almost 10 years I've been doing this show but sure. Tom Lehrer's influence is there, but is there a, a place where you can nail it down to a specific thing you've done that is Lehrer-esque or a, a Lehrer thing that is in your brain or is it a, just a general patois patois there is not the th- word I meant but <laughs> no, patois.
1: I, I know exactly what you mean You I know was, what I mean. I was looking through trying to figure <laughs> out <laughs> idiot. Sorry. where there were <laughs> that's okay because uh, I can't think of what the right word is there. Patina, um, patina, maybe pastiche. Um, Pistachio. Is yeah, that there the it word? is. Sure, why not? Any any kind of legume or nut. Mm-hmm. Um there's a couple direct pulls uh that I can think of that were maybe not consciously, ooh, I can steal this from Tom Lair so sure. much as I look back and go, oh yeah, totally pulled that from Tom Lehrer. Um there's uh, a line from the Masochism Tango, which is a song on uh, Evening Wasted with Tom Lehrer, which brings us back to the topic. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, At your command, before you hear, I stand. My heart is in my hand, and then he pauses and goes, "Ugh." You know, in live performance, he's like, he's held out his hand, and there's a funny joke. Mm-hmm. And we had a song. We have a song called Live that's sung from the point of view of a mad scientist who is um, trying to create a person that will love him. Mm-hmm. So it's this sort of forlorn love song. And there is one point, um, she hold it where I would, I would, the lyric, uh, and I, I sing the song. I sing lean on the song live and I would sing, uh, she holds my heart like the way that I held hers. And when I perform that live, I hold my hand out and look down at it to hammer the joke home. That's, mm-hmm. that's a very direct pull. Love it. Um, let me look for. And a it's second. not even the same I, joke. That's that's a solid. Uh, yeah, it, but it's, nice it's certainly it's certainly out of the same joke basket. Sure. Uh, I am trying to. I know there was another one that I found, and I just need. By to,
0: the way, I never get the po- the answer in the positive here. It's always no. Generally, it's there. But yeah, you no, there actually there, have there examples. This is yeah. Nice. There
1: are definite. There's definitely a few little pulls like that. I uh not a specific example, but uh, one of the things that Tom Lehrer does uh. I can't remember what the actual the real name of it is or if it even has one. I think of it in my head. I call it a broken rhyme mm-hmm. where you you create a rhyme by placing the middle part of a word uh, at the end of a line to rhyme mm-hmm. with an actual actual word. Um, the, the one I can think of, for example, off the top of my head is the song We Will All Go Together When We Go, mm-hmm. uh, where the first line I'm bringing it up here on my computer when you attend a funeral it is sad to th- think that sooner or later <laughs> he actually pronounces it sooner or later uh-huh. uh, you think that sooner or later those you think will do the same for you like that tickled me so much as a kid mm-hmm. like, to seeing oh oh look at that cool math trick he's doing yeah of of sort of faking out a rhyme that way uh, I know we've done that kind of thing in our songs I can't think of any immediate uh, examples, which, which lessens the impact of my anecdote some. Um, but that's like that sort of smartness and trickery, uh, which is certainly not unique to him. Sure. uh, But, but for me personally, like that was a very important sort of songwriting lesson I learned early is the way you can, can play with words like that. Uh, it tickles both, the brain
0: both, in a way cuz you don't at all expect anybody would do this with Yeah, words, I uh,
1: I was doing a little research before the show. <coughs> excuse me, and reading some interviews with him and such and he described, you know, he started out as most fans of his would know, he was he had a math degree
0: mm-hmm.
1: and ended up actually teaching math as well as political science and as well as musical theater over the years, but he, mm-hmm. you know, he he was a very talented mathematician uh, before he and and music was just sort of a side a hobby for him mm-hmm. and he would write these little songs and he'd play them for friends and eventually he played them in clubs in the Boston area and put out a recording and ended up, you know, touring for a while. Um, but he described how mathematics tickles, you know, again, we're using this term a lot, tickles the brain. It, it, it fires a lot of the same neurons as lyric writing and there's a creativity to it and you know lyric writing he's always thought of as he says as a kind of puzzle that you're assembling mm-hmm. and that, that's a lot of the way that I have thought of le- uh, lyric writing as well I've always thought of songwriting in general for me is always sort of half jigsaw puzzle and half sculpting you know, you're, you're putting little pieces together mm-hmm. to try and make them fit properly. And also at the same time, you are also kind of chipping away, you know, there, there's a horse in there somewhere inside the marble, so to speak, and you're chipping yeah. away the parts that aren't the horse. Uh, and my own mental, uh, metaphor for songwriting, uh, pretty much falls along that, those lines. But that's that enjoyment of finding ways to snap these puzzle pieces together and, and finding pathways and connections, um, has a sort of mathematics to it. In you know, there's.
0: Way. it's super common that, uh, you know, musicians become comedians or have comedic bent. You know, I think the most famous example that I like to give every time, Mel Brooks was a drummer. Uh, I think back during the war, he was a drummer yeah. before and during yeah. the war, and then, you know, learns rhythm, et cetera, et cetera. I do wonder then if there are more mathematicians out there or mathematically inclined folks who are comedians uh, or musicians. I, I mm-hmm. do wonder if there's a direct line between any of those folks. It, and,
1: it could be. I certainly would, you know, I'd agree with Larer that there is a lot more art to some of the sciences, sciences such as math than you might expect. Just like there's mm-hmm. a lot more math than you might expect to, to a lot of the arts. Art is, I mean, it, well, it can be
0: lateral thinking and without lateral thinking, you don't get a lot of uh, solutions to problems. So, yeah. so it seems to me that I, I would, I'm very dumb, but what I'm saying is <laughs> I'm I, I, I feel like the links are there. Maybe. Yeah. I could yeah. be wrong. Absolutely. Um, so, do we do not have to do a track-by-track track of this, and we can talk about any track from any album, but do you have a particular favorite off of uh, An Evening Wasted?
1: Uh, I mean, there's a lot of good ones. They're I don't so know that good. I'd have a definite favorite. Certainly, mm-hmm. I think... I, my, I don't know that it was the first one that I heard, but on this album, on Evening Wasted, I mean, Poisoning Pigeons in the Park is such a classic it's it's a it's a very uh, exemplary uh tom Lehrer song for me in a lot of ways in mm-hmm. that it is unexpected it's very very funny it's short yeah like his you know it he's when i realized uh, in again in researching he only wrote he describes it as he wrote 37 songs over 20 years i don't think he's counting any of the songs he wrote for like the electric company and such i think mm. his total oeuvre uh, to mispronounce that word is something like 50 songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was not massively prolific, but boy, did he have a good hit rate, uh, but poisoning pigeons in the park, particularly like there is a certain darkness and cynicism. Um, not, not depressive, mm-hmm. like not genuinely dark, but there is, there, there's definitely a, 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 a cynical eye i i i I can't think of any other proper words for it i I will as soon as we finish the Mm -hmm. the podcast which is my my usual mo for a podcast for lack of a better word there's a certain darkness to his his writing Mm -hmm. um that you don't find in a lot of contemporaries like i one of the other albums we used to have uh we had stan freeberg um Mm -hmm. i think it was a child's garden of stan freeberg uh, and we had an Alan Sherman album, uh, mm-hmm. my son, the folk singer. I Probably, think yeah. that was another one I played a lot of. Yeah. And Alan Sherman is equally brilliant in a lot of ways. Like I really, really love what he wrote. But he was also he was coming at you know he he his whole his approach to comedy was both different musically and also his targets were different. Like he was exploring uh, in a lot of ways he was exploring the world and, and the viewpoint of. Uh, you know, a a person a a Jewish New Yorker yeah. in the fifties.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um not that all his songs were about being Jewish, but sure. they spoke to a lot of them were and a lot mm-hmm. of them at least spoke from that viewpoint. And again, as like a mid seventies ten year old Gentile, I didn't really understand the context of a lot of the stuff that he was singing about. Sure. But somehow I knew that um uh Sherman's song um uh, the Ballad of Harry Lewis, <laughs> uh, to the Battle of Him of the Republic. Uh, now and, and I'm trying to remember the exact the exact lyric, which is one of my favorite lyrics of his. Um, uh, uh, Harry Lewis perished in the service of his. Lo- the second verse of Battle Him of the Republic. Harry Lewis perished in the service of his lord. He was trampling through the warehouse. Where the drapes of Roth are stored. That's right. Which yeah. I should have set up. He works for a clothier called Irving Roth, as uh-huh. it's established in the in the first verse. Which, again, a reference. I would never have known as uh-huh. a child. I just took it on faith. But like, that's such a beautiful little construction and piece of 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 um, uh, parody, mm-hmm. and also. Uh, sort of explicating the world that, uh, of the song and of the of the characters within it, and it's just it's just a brilliant little piece of, of mm-hmm. parody writing to me. That's a long fucking uh, walk too. It's I such a gra- it's a that. great walk, but it's <laughs> such a such a beautiful payoff for that walk. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but that as I say, uh, there's not a lot of you know there's not a lot of darkness to him. He he's just sort of you know it's like take this song and spin it a little. Mm-hmm. You know, Twenty-three percent more Jewish, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whereas uh, Tom Lehrer, you know, he's looking at things like the Cold War, yeah. Uh, especially a number of songs either about the Cold War or, or about you know being in the military, um, or the you know at at the time he wrote it, a pretty recent uh, Supreme Court ruling regarding pornography. Oh yeah, uh, and talking about subjects that you know were not generally covered by. You know, certainly the musical comedians of the day, you know, his, song, his first album, Songs by Tom Lair, a lot of radio stations, particularly in Massachusetts, wouldn't play it because of the yeah. content. He wasn't singing dirty things, but he was hinting at a lot of dirty things. They are surprisingly filthy for, like, songs written between 1955 and 1965. Mm-hmm. Like, they're the the entendres are barely double sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but again, so smartly. He saying such filthy yeah. things without using any bad words. Mm -hmm. Um, because he's a very smart writer. Uh, and all of which is to say poisoning pigeons in the park is such a black humor, uh, but done so cheerily and so smartly that you can't help, but be just sort of carried along by it. Uh, uh, and, you know, and, and also like, he's very underrated, I think as a performer too, like I learned so much about timing. From him, like his album had between song patter, which, Mm -hmm. you know, musical, you know, the Alan Sherman songs tended not to. Right. Uh, And just how the command he had of an audience and to be able to accompany himself and be that sort of free flowing. uh, I just I I love so much about it. Uh, So Poisoning Pigeons in the Park is certainly a a prominent top one. Uh, The Elements is, of course. Uh, A classic, albeit not quote-unquote funny per se, but just sort of a brilliant piece of assembly. Sure. Maybe the original nerd humor. Who knows? It could well be. Um, The masochism tango, just because it's, uh, you know, when when you're that young, you're like, hee-hee, singing about (laughs) dirty things, Mm -hmm. uh, was very amusing. Uh, I loved... uh, uh, oh, *Oedipus Rex* is another one. It's like a oh, surprisingly yeah. filthy song, <laughs> considering. Um, and, and you, you weren't, sh- you know, at least as in saying you. I mean, I you weren't sure exactly why you thought it was so funny mm-hmm. when you're ten, uh, and only passingly familiar with the story of *Oedipus Rex*. But right, um, you you know, there's something. Uh, something uh, untoward going on and I, that certainly appealed to me. I also liked uh, songs like Clementine um, which is uh, his repurposing of folk songs in different styles of the day Yeah, uh, that he does the first per- first verse in the style of Cole Porter and I knew nothing about Cole Porter sure. in, in those days and then he does a verse in the style of Mozart does a verse in the style of sort of bebop Uh, Charles Mingus style jazz and and finishes up with uh, Gilbert and Sullivan style Mm -hmm. Uh, and for the longest time until I was very uh, until very recently honestly I always thought of that type of comedy as pastiche Mm -hmm. it turns out it's not that's not the actual definition of the word but that was that sort of when you think of a style parody where you're not making fun of a specific song Mm mm-hmm Per se, or it's specific lyrics, but you're just sort of taking up a particular style or format and you're playing with it either to make fun of the format or to make fun of something else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still think of the, I, I still will um, in my own head think of it as pastiche mm-hmm. for lack of a better word. Uh, and and again, songs like Clementine were some of my f- original introduction to that type of uh, that type of comedy, which is a lot of, you know, what it's essentially what we do is Paul and Storm, like, mm-hmm. So much of our uh, our repertoire is just sort of, you know, using using the particular song style that we choose as, to, at least to some degree, a commentary on what we're singing about. We don't do, sure. we've never done very much pure song parody, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I, I'm not knocking parody. You know, God sure. knows Weird Al is one of the most talented people uh, that I know, much less songwriters. Um and it, and I think it is in fact harder to write really good song parodies because you've got to mm-hmm. take you, you've got to make funny happen within a very specific structure. Yeah, um, which is a really you know extremely hard skill, and to know how hard a skill it is, just go and listen to just about any musical song parodies that aren't done by Weird Al. It's the just, math of how he does it.
0: Yeah, and to also then. Uh, make every chorus not the same that is the huge thing that i've had pointed out to me by musicians like oh fuck you're right oh my god you're right and to hit the same rhyme structure and everything else yeah
1: yeah exactly i mean even in our own you know our own non-parody songs one of the things we regularly will do is we we vary up our choruses just because people are expecting a laugh and if you're giving them 30 seconds of the same thing they heard a minute ago you're missing opportunities and you're boring them a little bit Mm -hmm. um and yeah to to have to do that you know within the even stricter confines of, of an existing song's structure and even rhyme scheme uh you know no thanks no <laughs> right well, <laughs> well, it feels leave, like leave that to the professionals as they say <laughs> it feels um, like
0: you're begging for like a laugh with the same old material even if it was only a few seconds ago you know if, even yeah. if it's half a minute ago you played the chorus if it's the exact same thing well why didn't you try mm-hmm. if, even if you tried so hard on the rest of it your yeah. brain the the audience's
1: brain is like no you didn't try hard enough here even if they don't realize it. Um, And not again, not to say that there's not extremely good comedy that can be mined from that kind of thing. Of course Uh, we have, uh, you know, to cite ourselves as an example of extremely good comedy. (laughs) um, We have a song called uh, you left me, Mm -hmm. which is a uh, country ballad of a man singing to uh, lamenting to his ex about how she left him. Uh, And, the, the whole first half of the song, the, the chorus is... You now, I have to remember, it's been so long since we've sung it live. Mm-hmm. You left me, you left me, oh, you up and left me, and nothing feels right anymore. Uh, it was your right babe I know when you left me and walked right out the door. Mm-hmm. And the second half of the song uh, explicates that uh, the uh, narrator of the song, me, uh, was a really terrible, awful person whose wife... Actually grabbed an axe and chopped me in half, half vertically, and then when we sing that same chorus again, suddenly all the jokes take new meanings. Love it. Uh, uh, so that you know that was that was a hard one to write. Yeah, <laughs> and it's fun. Like it was very funny when we first started performing it to see the audiences that would get it or not, because mm-hmm. uh, it's also a slow song. We actually, it, it's a bit of a cheap. Uh, A cheap ploy, where in introducing the song, uh, I'd often or we'd often say um, that we were hesitant to sing this song because not all audiences necessarily. Well, okay, the smart audiences get this song, (laughs) and then from there we we go into it, it and that sort of gets them a little more on our side. But it also sets them up to understand that this song is a slow burn, Mm -hmm. and the first half is not so funny. but just wait for the punchline, which yeah. is, you know, it's always a tough, uh, it's a tough ask of an audience that's there to see comedy, like sure. to, to even, and also even to preset that you're not going to hear a real joke for maybe 90 seconds or so. Yeah. Uh, but then, you know, we, we enjoy that kind of challenge every once in a while. I mean, again, it, it's math.
0: Us. It's all math that, yeah. that, 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 doesn't work without, you know, you give the, uh, the audience the opportunity to literally put two and two together. And then it's literally about a man being split in two. There's something else there. There's a lot going on there.
1: It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's storytelling, story structure. Mm -hmm. You got got to let them know what, uh, what the structure looks like. So they, uh, then you can start to subvert it, I guess.
0: Have you ever covered
1: Tom Lehrer? Uh, not as Paul and Storm. Mm -hmm. When I was in junior high, actually, I guess I was in middle school, technically. Uh, I was in a church youth group. Um, I wasn't even a member of the church. It was just sort of... The main thing was they put on a, a big musical every year, and most okay. people joined, they joined the youth group just to rehearse and then put on that musical at the end of the year, and then we'd do a, a variety show uh, post-musical uh, where people would do a bunch of different stuff. And I had a friend who was a really good piano player who was also a huge Tom Lehrer fan, and so at a couple of those uh talent shows we covered a couple tom Lair songs to varying degrees of success <laughs> uh and i think i think that was as close as i ever came to sort of covering tom Lair in public i don't think i've ever even done any like karaoke uh <laughs> of his um that's a weird request for the karaoke mc though Can it you, is a little bit although the the, the, the karaoke i would would ever uh frequent Probably would have that oh, okay. in, the, in the repertoire, but I I never bothered to try, although I'm, you know, it would be fun to try and take out the elements and just see, oh, be yeah, able to get through it like I used to be able to when I was nine.
0: Yeah, you. Yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah. You, you did. You have it entirely memorized then at one point. you. Just, at some you point to, I did. It,
1: it wasn't like to. a parlor trick thing that I would do all the time. But mm-hmm. at some point I had every word of both of those albums. So good. Down. That's so good. Uh,
0: have you met or spoken with? Tom Lehrer. I
1: never have. Okay. I've gotten close. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was always like friend of a friend. We played the Ig Nobel ceremonies uh-huh. some time ago. At this point, probably about ten years ago, and I got to meet Benoit Mandelbrot at that event. Wow. So that was kind of cool uh, mm-hmm. from a uh, uh, you know a theoretical mathematics mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, standpoint. Uh, and there was a person or two there who knew Tom Lehrer. And uh, it was it was in in that particular case, it was a matter of at that point, because I believe at that point he would do spring and summer in Massachusetts and then do winter and fall in UC Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. And he was on the other side of the country at that point. and then at a certain point, he just, I believe, just flat out retired to to Northern California. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I have never had that opportunity, nor honestly, if I were to meet him, I'm sure I would make kind of an idiot of myself as, as much as I've you know, I've met a, my fair share of famous people. Mm-hmm. I've been very fortunate in my career to you know, meet people and through those people meet other people. And I'm generally real good about. Just sort of maintaining and it's like you know sure. they're just a person and it's particularly they would really appreciate it if you not just gush all over them so I'm generally mm-hmm. pretty good at that uh but there are a few people Tom Lair being one of them like he's so steeped uh, like I'm so or I'm, I'm steeped in his work and it's so so in intertwined in my DNA and bone marrow at this point I would have mm-hmm. a very difficult time even knowing what to say to him yeah like, you know, you are, you know, you're, you're intertwined with all of my earliest memories and right. helped form my, my being and my career and my entire personality. Yeah. And what, what are you supposed to say to something like that? Uh, gee, thanks kid, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's,
0: uh, yeah, the hard part is it's obviously something he's been told a billion times before. It's matters just as much to every person who says it. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it is, it's hard. I, I wouldn't, you know, I haven't even um, been influenced that hard, that well. And I called him up once and oh uh, really yeah uh, his numbers in the book um he was very kind he's like i don't do interviews i'm like oh fair enough because um, that is what i wanted out of, out of the situation ah, gotcha. but uh, he was kind he was kind enough well, although nice. there is so Jake keith van stratton did the podcast uh, a while back and he interviewed tom lehrer when he was down for it but j keith was about 12 at the time oh wow. um but he has the tape um i have huh. pre-pandemic i was supposed to pick it up from him it never happened so i can digitize it hoping that happens at some point because I'll put that as an episode of this podcast. Uh, I I want to hear a 12-year-old interview him. Like, that's the big, like, that's kind of the dream. Like, a 12-year-old kid
1: gets to talk to him. Very sort of Judd Apatow, uh, early Judd Apatow, just walking up to comedy writers and interviewing him, kind of balls. I like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I know that the the one thing I was told, Mm -hmm. uh, which I would have taken advantage of at the time if I'd ever had the opportunity, Mm -hmm. was that the way to not annoy him and get him interested in a conversation was to talk about musical theater, because that was really like what he enjoyed talking i mean he enjoyed math just fine but like Mm -hmm. he he was it was a strong influence from his from his childhood and and that says you know it, it shows up a lot in the way he writes songs as well his songs tell great stories and they're smart and they're so well structured and they they have a lot of the same elements that that really good musical theater writing does um but boy would i have loved to you know tried to exploit that opportunity uh given the chance but alas i'm not gonna bug him at this point because he's 94 and what the hell does he need to hear from me from
0: right right and he did just release all of his uh all of his lyrics on his website it's a public domain yeah so great that's good yeah
1: what i mean what a great guy (laughs) yeah
0: yeah he's a nice dude he's a nice dude he seems yeah um so okay so we've gotten your favorite songs off of here um did this lead where did this nat- naturally lead down the line? Like, what's the next kind of comedy you picked up if you bought albums? I mean, that's it's a good time. Oh uh, gosh,
1: yeah. When it came time to buy albums again, I was a child of the '70s, so I I went down a lot of probably the expected routes. Mm-hmm. Of uh, heard some Carlin sure. albums. Um, uh, bought you know you know I wasn't was so dead in the wheelhouse for Steve Martin. At mm-hmm. the time, mm-hmm. uh, which is not to say he strictly appeals to twelve-year-old boys. <laughs> sure, but. but wow, were twelve-year-old boys into Steve Martin back mm-hmm. in that day? Uh, uh, some uh, comedians who it is probably problematic at this point to sure. to to say, uh, but at the time had extremely popular albums and specials that mm-hmm. were uh, uh, well liked in their day. Um, mm-hmm. I was not. I was a, a late. You know, my my comedy. Interests were fairly mundane's not the right word, but or mainstream, I guess. Not that I was averse to anything avant-garde or alt like you know. I, I also had the standard white male nerd upbringing of really enjoying um, Monty Python on PBS mm-hmm. when that would show, and and things like that. Uh, when I hit college, uh, Kids in the Hall, I loved Kids in the Hall. I enjoyed Saturday Night Live just fine, but I wasn't mm-hmm. like a Uh, a a fervent acolyte, shall Mm -hmm. we say. And I was too, you know, at the time that was, that was pre, you know, UCB or anything like that, where, where it was remotely a realistic dream for a a kid from suburban Philadelphia to like, Oh, I can go be a sketch comedian somewhere.
0: Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Not that that's necessarily the path I would have followed anyway, but sure. uh, That was as far as my, my, what seemed realistic to me was just to be a fan of this stuff. Uh, I'm trying to think of what other comedy I would fall into at that point. You know, there was the, you know, all the usual music comedy wise, obviously Weird Al Mm -hmm. um, and and the various people we've mentioned. But, you know, there was a there was a pretty big dearth of musical comedy during that time, other than the stuff you would hear on the various, uh, you know, morning zoo shows or if you had it, Dr. Demento. Uh, But, you know, I had I had some exposure to that sort of stuff. Wait, that. in
0: Philly, what was what was the morning zoo? Which channel would it have been? Uh there
1: was WMMR There's uh, the one. Uh, That's John one DeBella in the morning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Now I'm from upstate New York, but for some reason my parents had this WMMR record uh on tape. Yep. Yeah, they that had a couple.
1: Stuff. Yeah, they, they did have a couple back in the back in the early eighties, I guess. hmm. Um yeah. back
0: back when that used to be a thing. Uh huh. Re listening to well, you know, I haven't really re listened to it, but there's no way it's good. No uh
1: way. yeah, I'm sure it's very, very of its time. uh-huh and, and uh-huh. You, know, you know cocaine's a hell of a drug mm-hmm. and I think mm-hmm. most of most of FM radio, particularly most of uh, FM morning radio shows kind of ran on cocaine, I think. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. yeah No. <laughs> not no to specifically time. disparage you know I have no idea if John Debell and his team <laughs> were involved with any of that. I just sort of am going off of what I could the evidence I can see in hindsight mm-hmm. of most morning radio shows.
0: Well, you know, just based on having that record i have I have wanted to interview him just based on the fact that that is one of the first things I ever heard, and maybe I'll ask him, yeah john how much how much coke
1: <laughs> yeah, just how much of it was just floating a, around Just
0: give me a rough idea i, I mean I think
1: I think most radio stations were actually built like instead of on rebar and and drywall, <laughs> I think it was cocaine packets holding mm-hmm. up the walls I think you're right, I think you're right uh <laughs> Do you okay, so
0: I, I would like you to take uh this album, uh, An Evening Wasted with Tom Lair. Okay. And I would like you to recommend it to people if they, let's say, don't know who the hell Tom Lehrer is. Maybe they're young listening to oh, this. Oh wow, I've
1: gotta give you an elevator pitch on Tom Lair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tom Lair is an extremely smart uh, comedy singer songwriter, uh who who writes about political and social issues. Uh, of the day from the mid 50s through the mid 60s and also just really funny shit. Yeah. He's a extremely talented performer and his work has influenced every funny musician you know or have ever heard of.
0: 50 songs and out, man. That is uh, that's a hell of a out. thing. Right? I mean,
1: we didn't even talk about like the songs that he wrote for the electric company you know, and a, which the, are those? Because I don't think I know. He any He wrote. Of these. Uh, he wrote a song called L Y, mm-hmm. uh, a song called "Silent E," mm-hmm. uh, one's called "An Apostrophe mm-hmm. I think he wrote a total of ten, and I don't remember Amazing. all of them. Those were three of three of the the best ones, and they were just these songs that would usually have you know some sort of animated uh, video accompanying them, teaching some sort of basic uh, uh, punctuation or or um, grammar Mm -hmm. lesson. And they were just good songs. Like I have my entire life, even when I was small, I've always had a horror for poorly written, condescending children's music that just, just don't, uh, don't give children any credit Mm -hmm. um, to being able to get it, so to speak. Uh, And his songs, they're just, you know, they're simple. They're funny uh, without being, silly or goofy for for silliness and goofiness's sake and they're really charming yeah and they're catchy so i absolutely uh you know you can you can find them you know on itunes or anywhere where you find tom lehrer music you can look them up um and again you know that uh, the electric company was one of the shows that i watched back in the day there was a block for when you were a kid depending on what specific age you were Mm -hmm. in the in the afternoon there was uh Electric Company, Mister Rogers, Sesame Street. Uh, in mornings, there was Captain Kangaroo, and you know you only had a few channels to choose from. And on PBS, it was you know Sesame Street, Electric Company, and Mister Rogers. Uh, and Electric Company um, was a little hipper. Mm-hmm. It had, you know, Morgan Freeman got his start, yeah, uh, as a character named Easy Reader, right, on the Electric Company, and Cheeta Rivera was on it, and it was just you know it was a it's very very of its time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was interesting and captivating and entertaining and not just sort of an assault of, of cloying, you know, something that, that old people, lazy old people figured kids would like because it's loud and bright.
0: <coughs> you know, me. people, if people want to hear more about electric company. I'd just say, go listen to our, uh, Paul Dooley episode who, oh, he did he, uh, that show. Yeah. Oh,
1: that's right. See, it's, I mean, it's something just...
0: that people don't talk about and the credits are wonky on IMDb, but everything he talks like, no, I, I, that's my show. I'm like, holy shit.
1: Okay, that's so great. And that's Mind so scants. God love Paul Dooley. He's a fucking American brilliant.
0: treasure. Can I tell you something? This is one thing that we talked about uh, and he brought up and it's real. It's obviously real. But what's dry... OK, so, you know, uh, do you know about the first family record? Is uh, that a, an yes. album your parents had? Okay. Uh, we didn't have it. You but didn't have it, it, but you know what it is. Okay. Yeah. So long story short, anybody who doesn't know, listen to the several episodes I've done talking about it, but uh, including Von Meter's Widow. But um, he did a JFK record too, like a lot of people did. I have... There was a uh-huh. glut of them. I, have, I think I have a dozen sure. of them that, pe- that people... Or no, six or seven. And he did one too, but it never got released. The huh. tapes are out there somewhere probably. And I'm wow. trying to scramble to get them because... I want that out there. It could be terrible. Who knows? And, you know, he'd uh-huh, uh-huh. he would he'd be the first to admit it. But uh, he's also in a Muhammad Ali comedy album. If anybody gives that a listen, I think it's called as I'm in, the Greatest. As in a, a, Ali somebody, released, somebody
1: doing or Muhammad Ali Muhammad released Ali. this album? Muhammad Ali released wow. a, a comedy
0: album. I think Tony Thaxton talked about it on his his podcast. That, uh, Weird that album. would
1: that would scan. Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, Paul Dooley's in there, uncredited, but he's like, "Yeah, I did this album with Muhammad
1: Ali." And I was like, "Are you? He what was the fuck? everywhere, wasn't yeah, he? Absolutely." Okay, so okay, so here's a Paul Dooley bit to, to tie it in with, with myself. Um, of course, speaking of musical uh, comedy, um, uh, you know, Spinal Tap mm-hmm. and uh, Mighty Wind and mm-hmm. Waiting for Guffman are all, of course, beautifully gen- genius movies. Paul Dooley is, of course, in A Mighty Wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, What is the name of the group? The New Main Street Singers. Singers, yeah. where mm-hmm. he is the only remaining original <laughs> member of the New Main Street Singers, and they never call attention to this fact, and I don't remember exactly when I noticed it. It may have been when I read an interview with Paul Dooley about it. I, I like okay. to think I'm a little more perceptive and I saw it before then. But Paul Dooley, when they perform in uh, in that movie, whenever they perform, he's holding a guitar that he never plays. Never plays. <laughs> and then yeah. at the end of each song, he reaches over and fiddles with the tuning. Now, uh, cut to 2004, 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, the acapella group that Storm and I were in, Da Vinci's Notebook, uh, stopped performing. Okay. And we decided to go out as a a duo Mm -hmm. and do our own, you know, write our own new stuff and go out as a performing duo. Storm played guitar and I, uh, didn't really. I, I play some keyboard, uh, but I didn't generally have an instrument to, to bring out and play live on stage. When we were an cappella group, we always had microphones in our hands because we, we weren't on stands. We just walk around a bunch. So I had a microphone in my hand at all times. Mm-hmm. Very early in the Paul and Storm career, I realized I felt really, really weird mm-hmm. because Storm was rooted to, to, because he had a guitar, he was rooted to a microphone on a stand. So I would stand next to him with a mic on a stand because it'd be really weird for me to wander around. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea what to do with my hands. My solution for the first year of Paul and Storm was to also hold a guitar that I never played, <laughs> and would occasionally between songs fiddle with the tuning oh, in honor smart. direct homage to Paul Dooley from that's Mighty Wind.
0: So fucking good. Does know this? It he just notice? like
1: uh, I, I've never met him, and, and oh, okay. I'm sure well, he is not aware tell him of our existence, much less I don't care. Uh, I'm going to tell of him. that thing. That would be it, it, like please, please do say there's a comedy music duo, and one guy absolutely. He'll appreciate in it. In direct, direct homage to you did that. And it was so strictly is strictly for me to just feel less uncomfortable on stage. It was a place for me oh, to put my hands. That is a beautiful bit. That is very good. Son of a bitch. That's funny. <laughs> I love, love that him.
0: movie, by the way. I, I need to, That is a movie whose soundtrack I do not own on vinyl. And I really want it. So that oh, I can talk wow. about it on this show. Not that yeah. I have to own it on vinyl. But I, I love it. It's if you're going to own it, movie. you
1: should own it on vinyl. One of, one of my great regrets in, in uh, life is to have missed. They did a... They did like a three-show tour when mm-hmm. that movie came out. They they performed live in like three places. One of them was in D.C., where I lived at the time, uh-huh. and I was out of town the night they were performing. Uh, and to have seen a concert by all those groups live, just, they did it oh, at the I'm Getty so here, and I was upset.
0: poor as fuck, and <laughs> I was just like I can't, I can't justify they, uh, it. I can't do the, it. They
1: played the nine thirty in D.C., and I could have gone. <clears and throat> Damn it, I. I i didn't and to this day i'm like oh that's that's the one of the ones that got away Mm -hmm. do you have anything you would like to promote uh you can find paul and storm on the various socials media at, at paul and storm all of our music is available and all the usual places where you can Uh, download things. We also have a band camp page where you, you can download all of our various projects, including a few things that, you know, weren't released anywhere else, such as the aforementioned. We did, we did two Christmas themed projects. Uh, One was called, it might be Christmas, which was a series of songs, Christmas song, original Christmas songs done in the style of they might be giants. Uh, Another one was the 25 days of Newman, which was 25 different uh, Christmas uh, movie themed songs. Uh, done in the style of Randy Newman, which is all based on a bit that we did that we haven't done in a long time. But one Mm -hmm. of our original bits was, um, uh, going back to the topic of doing imitations, one of the series of musical imitations we would do was uh, Randy Newman's theme to X movie. Mm And the X movie being a movie he did not write the theme song to, (laughs) like Lord of the Rings or... uh, um, uh, jesus christ superstar or uh <laughs> things like that and we did 25 and and the bit the the bit of it was it was always the same exact joke structure kind of uh uh-huh. short people's e mm-hmm. uh and it always you know whoever it was about it was like go hobbits go you my friend uh, And they were always your friend and it was always go Something go and so we did A project where it was 24 Different songs all with mm-hmm. that same Exact structure you know everything from the godfather To uh, um, uh, Shoot uh, uh, Miracle Worker <laughs> And then the 25th song Is a straight up not a comedy Song but a straight up randy newman style Theme song to it's a wonderful life That is Extremely true to Rainy Newman's style and uh, just maybe the blackest song we've ever written and also Mm. one of my favorite things we have ever done. (laughs) Um, uh, Anyway, you can find, among many other projects and all of our albums, you can find those at, uh, what is it, paulandstorm.bandcamp.com. And, uh, yeah, that's that'll do it that's delightful um i, I
0: very much appreciate you doing the show um it's a pleasure being fun.
1: here i have i know we've been trying to make this happen for a while but i'm so unreliable same uh but i'm very glad to have uh come in and done it i'm glad to have finally joined the pantheon i had to cancel a lot of episodes this
0: week because my back hurt so oh, owie <laughs> yep old that's what happens yep. with old yep. i hear um, that Ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you would just listen to some of my other podcasts, uh, Dispatches from Fort Awesome, a podcast about the TV show News Radio. Um, uh, listen to Dana and Jay's Comedy Hour. Uh, the Professional Blur. Two of those podcasts are going away. Uh, not Dana and Jay's Comedy Hour uh, or this one for now, probably. <laughs> Fingers <laughs> at crossed. Month, at least for a month. <laughs> yeah, please, um, please don't go
1: away before you release <laughs> before this I release episode. It. What a dick
0: move! Uh, sorry, guys. I'm the one that killed there. it. Sorry. <laughs> uh, and uh, thank you all for listening. And as always. Have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. undress entertainment
1: Hey it's my turn Ah